You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy October, everybody, and uh, I'm not sure about you, but the bow hunting season is open, at least in Iowa, and it, it is, and I think uh, October 1st marks uh, opening day for a lot of uh, a lot of states. But let's see. I'm recording this on a Sunday night. You guys are listening to this on a Monday morning or Monday afternoon. And uh, I had a really awesome first set. I think I saw about four deer tonight. Um, one was a buck who next year could be you know, on the hit list. I think I'm guessing he's either a two or a three year old this year, but he's got some good antlers. Other than that, you know, for me, I needed this. I needed this, this to come. I needed the hunting season to come. Um, I got into the tree stand tonight. I did a run and gun. So I had to set everything up from scratch and just absorbed nature. You know, it's, bow hunting is kind of like therapy to me and uh it was it was awesome to just get into the woods strap in and just be if that makes sense um so and i gotta see a pretty good buck so i'm freaking jacked up uh it sucks right now that uh, as everybody's listening to this they're probably on their way to work or at work or doing something work related and not actually hunting but guys like us, you know, we got to put in the 40 plus so we can uh, spend the weekends and uh, those two weeks or those that one week, whatever we get out in the timber. So we, we bust our ass so we can uh, play a little. Now, today, uh, speaking of, you know, dreams and hopes and wishes, I wish I shoot a buck this big someday. Um, today we're going to be talking from a gentleman named Mitch Green from Southwest Missouri who hunts in Kansas, and uh, he slammed an absolute toad this year. Uh, so the pictures are going to be on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page, or all right, well, on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and on the um, the the blog post that mentions this uh, this podcast, but. Uh, just a slammer with a, a huge flyer off the the back tons of junk just an impressive 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 buck and uh today we're going to talk about that story mitch he's gonna you know share his four years worth of experience four years worth of history with this deer and uh it's a pretty cool story and uh i know you guys are enjoy it gonna enjoy it because i enjoyed it and uh, let's see what else do I have to say. Not too much, actually. I don't. I'm kind of I'm I'm off the wall here because I just got in to the house from uh, hunting. I didn't 
transition quite yet from hunt mode, so uh, I'm jibber-jabbering here again, but, uh, you know, this is a good podcast, let me tell you. <laughs> but before we get into the podcast today, Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras talks a little bit about their five-year warranty. Well, the first thing I'd say about our, you know, our five-year warranty is is that it's not one of those warranties where, unfortunately, like a lot of companies in this industry, in any industry for that matter, you call them up, you know, you have an issue with a product, and you kind of get the runaround about every other you know circumstance that could be at fault except for their product. So you know, so many times I've called other camera companies back when I was using other products, and you know, they try to blame it on batteries or SD cards or give me the runaround about this or that. And, and it got so frustrating after a while that nobody would stand up for their products that that was a big part of what in a, what went into our five-year warranty. You know, our warranty, we like to call it a no BS warranty. So if you call us up at four years and 362 days, we're still going to take care of you no matter what. And that's our guarantee. So one is just having a warranty that actually means something and isn't just kind of a marketing tool was really big to us. But the reason that we're able to do that is because, uh, one, because of our direct-to-consumer model, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. Two would be the fact that we build our products to last and not to just turn around to get you through another year and then you can buy more products. We build them as tools instead of novelty items like a lot of companies, unfortunately, are still doing. When companies are in these big box retailers, everybody's fighting for the bottom dollar. Everybody wants to try to make a, a profit margin. And there's a lot of different people trying to get their money out of, out of these products. So what happens is quality ends up getting driven down. And that's the number one most important thing to us here at Exodus is putting out products that we, we're not going to lose sleep at over at night you know, wondering if they're going to stand up to the test of time. And, and that's something we hang our hat on and we're very proud of. If you guys want to find out more information on Exodus Trail Cameras, visit their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com. And when you purchase, enter the code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS when you check out, and you will receive $20 off your purchase. So uh, a little bit of savings passed to you guys. Now, let's get into today's Hunter Profile Podcast with Mitch Green from Southern Missouri. All right, on the phone with me now is Mitch Green. How are you doing today, Mitch? I'm doing good, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me. You should be doing good. Uh, I saw some pictures of the buck you shot this year, and uh, I, you know, every time I see a deer with that kind of character, it just makes me happy. Yeah, he was, uh, for me, uh, it was definitely a, uh, a buck of a lifetime and uh, one that, uh, you know, it has a great story behind it. It was a great buck, to, and it just so happened to come together. So I, I, I can't complain. I'm a pretty happy camper right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so before we actually start getting into the story, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about where you're from and what you do for a living? Well, uh, I'm from uh, southwest Missouri. I'm uh, from a town around uh, Joplin, Missouri. I... Uh, been working for the railroad since 2012. I work for Burlington Northern Santa Fe. Um, great company to work for. I do a lot of traveling, see a lot of scenery. So uh, that's where I spend all my time listening to your podcast. I spend a lot of a lot of time on the road, a lot of time on the highway, 
and so it's uh it's nice to be able to throw on to a podcast and uh it definitely helps the highway miles go by a little bit faster so i really appreciate what you're doing i've learned a lot over the last uh year or so listening to you and mark's podcast so i really appreciate w- what you're doing yeah no problem man i tell you what i actually just love talking about hunting whether it's gear or it's the actual hunting or strategy itself and uh you know I, I, if I was at a trade show and I ran into you or, you know, out at a bar or a restaurant or something, it would be just like recording that conversation, maybe with a little less swear words, but, uh, but you know, I, I just love talking about hunting and you know, that's why I do it. But, uh, we're going to get into this story now about, uh, this buck that you shot, but you said you live in Southwest Missouri, but this hunting property that that you have is in kansas um why don't you uh, describe what this property is is it public is it private how far from you know from missouri is it go into some details there okay um a property that i hunt is not quite two hours uh straight west of uh joplin it is a uh, it's not a big fancy lease it's just a uh it's an 800 acre piece of uh property that a uh, farmer has uh, graciously uh, let me hunt it throughout the past five years. Um, the property is uh, it's pretty typical Kansas. Um, it's got a lot of your open ground. It's got some farm ground. And uh, I guess the challenge that I do have a little bit with it is he does run cattle on it. So I have to uh, always have to challenge, you know, that's always a challenge trying to work around the cattle. But uh, over the last couple of years, I've, I've learned a lot. I'm still learning every every year. I'm learning something new. And it's uh, it's been a great property for uh, me and my dad to, uh, to to chase some big bucks every year. It's definitely been fun uh, ever since I started hunting Kansas five years ago. It's definitely been a game changer from from coming from uh, Missouri. Yeah, I, my uncle actually lives in southeast Kansas, and uh, he he went out there. And I tell the story all the time on the podcast. But he's been out there for like seven years, and he shot like a one sixty nine, a one seventy four. Uh, and, and then recently, uh, 211 inch deer. So there's, they're here. Yeah. Yep. And I, you know, you, and I'm from Southeast Iowa where I'm hunting, you know, sections of timber that runs up to ag fields, you know, black dirt and stuff like that. And he's basically hunting fence rows and cricks, crick systems, you know, so hardly any trees, you know, it's all open, open ground, like what you said. And it's amazing the quality of deer. You know, there's obviously way less numbers, but the quality there is is amazing. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a learning curve um, for me hunting this property in Kansas because I come from a background where you probably hunt. I'm used to hunting big timber, big timber, and and when I got out there to Kansas, I still remember the to, the, to this day the first time I ever walked this property. Overall, compared to the surrounding properties, this property has a lot of cover. Mm-hmm. So my first thought is I've got to dive down into this timber. This is where I've got to be. And it's taken me a while, but I've noticed over the years that that timber is really not the place to be. It's so dang thick. There's hardly any trees in there worth hanging a tree stand in. And so I've, I've been able to pull out of there and, and start hunting the edges. And it's definitely, uh, definitely panned out. And that was a perfect scenario. What happened this year on uh, the buck I killed a couple weeks ago. Okay. So, so there's a, a section of timber that's really thick and nasty, right? Is that, is that your bedding area? Yeah, it's, uh, 
it's got a creek running through it, and it's a it's a big nasty uh, cedar thicket. Basically, what it is, there's uh, you know an 800 acre property, but it hunts pretty small, and it's got probably uh, I don't know, probably close to 200 acres of that uh, of uh, of timber and thickets and all that good stuff. But uh, you know, that's quite a bit when you when you look around, you know, especially just on the aerial photo, comparing this property to others, it's got quite a bit of cover on it, which is is one of the reasons why it is so good. Okay. And, uh, how, how do the deer move in and out of this property? I mean, are they staying on this property or is it, uh, you know, what, what's going on? Uh, basically if you could picture, um, three perfectly square 160 acre sections is the main part of the farm on the total left side, you have your beans and your corn. And in the middle 160 acre square, you've got uh, pasture ground, which has got some small fingers of trees, some deep ditches. And over to the right, you've got your thick, nasty, you know, belly crawling into your cedar thickets um, to the right. So basically from, from east to west, you've got your bed, your transition, and the food. And uh, the Biggest thing that I probably have with my property is the food is so far away from the bed. It is very hard to uh, pattern these deer because uh, they'll never they'll never get to the to the food before daylight. It's just it doesn't happen, especially with those mature deer. You've got to catch them on those edges and kind of and uh, figure out which finger they're using going out to those uh, to those crop fields. Right. So you're you're never uh, hunting over top of a food source. No, I, uh, I'm getting there. Hopefully one of these years I'll be able to put in a food plot or something, but I'm still, uh, still working on it with the landowner. Right. Right. So, so now, um, you know, with, with what you just said, are you hunting obviously early season? Is that because you had this buck patterned or is a majority of your time out there spent during the rut when, you know, statistically deer are moving more? Uh, this was the first year I was really confident, uh, with my early season setup. Um, when I got, I first got my pictures of BT, you know, over the last three years, I guess I kind of been able to put in a little bit of an idea of where he was. And on the first week of August, I got a picture of him in that bean field, um, towards the West end of my property. And I basically just took three trail cameras there's three main travel corridors across that transition area and uh right away i could tell which finger he was using he was using a uh just a single just a fence line that kind of worked as a saddle that kind of worked its way up to the straw that and then the beans were on top of the hill and it was just one of those things that i that's that's where he was that's where he wanted to be and, uh, I just had to put a game plan to, uh, to be able to hunt it correctly. Okay. So before we go any further of this year, let's go all the way back. All right. When, how, how many years of history do you have with this buck? Uh, the story of, uh, this deer started back in the, in the summer of 2014. Okay. Uh, he, uh, you know, I, every summer I, get out like everybody else i get my trail cameras out and uh i was just flipping through real quick uh, on the cameras and i uh 
you know, I was going through them real fast and you get that little flash of a, of a good looking deer. And I stopped, I went back and I stopped and I, it was a nice eight pointer, but it looked like he had a drop time. But okay. what it actually, but it, what it actually was, was a broken time hanging okay. off of his left, left G3. And it was just, um, hanging on, you know, the velvet was just hanging on. He, he's probably fighting or something. And, uh, I quickly went on and, uh, that's really where BT, the broken time buck started. It was right there, um, in a spot that we call the oil rig. So. Okay. So, so this area, um, or this, this buck in 2014, you know, you saw him with the broken time, you named him BT. How old do you, do you think he was in two, that summer of 2014? I think it was pretty clear. He was, uh, just a two and a half year old. Two and a half year old. Okay. So three, so this year would have made him a four year old, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how, how big roughly was he in 2014? Uh, he probably wasn't 90, 80, 90 inches probably. Okay. But, but he was, did he have any other type of characteristics that, that you knew it was him when 2000 and, uh, you know, 2015 came through, uh, any type of characteristics like a double throat patch or a cut in his ear or anything like that? No, not really. He just had, he kept the same style of frame that gotcha. was, uh, very obvious. Uh, and we, we seen that, you know, we got thousands of trail camera pictures of this year in 2014. We, we actually passed him up like six or eight times the, the deer was just everywhere. Every time we tried to forget about him, you know, chasing another deer, here he'd come walking right underneath the sand. We got a, a lot of video of him passing him up. And uh, he was just one of those deer that was just absolutely everywhere in 2014. So we uh, had plenty of uh, plenty of uh, opportunities to look at him, that's for sure. Okay. So, you know, this deer, you know, I take it, I, I have had a couple of those deer where it's a two-year-old or a three-year-old and uh, it's the rut and I rattle. And this particular buck was the first one to come in every (laughs) time. And it's just like, get out of here, buddy. You know, there's nothing here for you. Get out of here, you know. And uh, was was he living on your farm? Yes. Yeah, I feel like in a small section of my neighbors, he was living on that. Okay. So 2014 goes by and you pass him several times, right? Yep. Okay. So, um, at, at the end of the 2000 and, uh, was, was there any other mature bucks on that property that year, um, that were kind of the dominant buck? Yes. Yeah. We had, uh, we had quite a few that year. It, it uh, wasn't as good as 2015, but, uh, we had four or five, four and a half or older deer running around and he was just kind of in the mix. Okay. So, um, 2014 goes on. Uh, did you happen to find his, you know, you're at this point, you knew you're passing him. You're not probably paying too much attention of what that particular deer is doing, but did you happen to find his sheds in 2000, the spring of 2015? No, we didn't. Uh, I don't do a lot of shed hunting. I, I try to, uh, I don't, I need some more friends to come out and help me because I get out there in that <laughs> wide open country 
in that tall grass, I, I'm driving out there, I'm getting all excited, and I get up on top of one of those big hills, and I think, my God, like, this is going to be tough. And, yeah. But I, I found some I found some really nice sheds out there to deer we've had a lot of history with. I actually found our, our number one deer that year, uh, a matching set, and I've pretty much just tripped over it. It's just a lucky deal. But uh, yeah. I try to find sheds, but uh, I mainly rely on my trail cameras to tell me what survived, um, you know, past gun season. I run a lot of cameras past gun season to help me. Um, know what's going to be there right so no you didn't find his sheds now i because he lived on your property i'm also assuming that you know you when you went out that summer um and started doing some you know started your trail setting up your trail cameras again and the first time that you checked your trail cameras in 2015 did this particular buck show up yeah, it was uh, just a repeat of 2014. He was one of the very first deer um, showing up on the trail cameras uh, in that same bean field where, where he, he loves to hang out that summer summertime months. So, okay, so what did he do from 2000? You know, he's you said he's a basically a 90 to 100 inch. He was just an eight-pointer, right? Yep. Okay, so what did he do from 2014 to 2015 in the antler department? He made a pretty good little jump. He was uh, probably 125, 130-inch deer, uh, if that. He uh, added a little bit of mass, added a little character on his left side. He had a uh, a split uh, left G2 on his left-hand side. Okay, so so just a little bit more character, no, nothing, no junk like That's what crazy. he did. Yeah. Right. Didn't even look anywhere close to what he looked like this year. Right. So, he, so, d- what was this deer on a hit list in 2015 at all, or was he? Uh, did he just get a pass again? Uh, right away for me, he it was pretty clear. I wanted to see him um, make it to four. Um, after hunting in Kansas a couple years, I've killed a couple, you know, four-year-olds, a couple five-year-olds, and three-year-olds. So I was really trying to, you know, I'm kind of at that point in my hunting career where it's been progressive for me, and now I'm kind of wanting to take that next step. Right. So I'm, I'm looking for four and a half or older. And uh, so so right off the bat, he was wanting to, uh, you know, I wanted to, to shoot him. But my dad, um, over the last couple years, he's kind of had some, some bad luck. So, um I actually, you know, I thought, you know, this could be a good, good deer for him. And, uh, and he ended up passing a little later on in the season, but that's a different part of the story, I guess. Right. Right. So, so what else were you chasing in 2015 on this property? Uh, I had a deer called, uh, 2010. He was a really nice 150, 160 inch deer that my dad, um, I feel my dad uh, kind of blow it on him at 15 yards back in 2014. Um, I had another, uh, you know, nothing crazy. I had another 140, 150-inch eight a kickstand that I had uh, had several close encounters with. That he was one of those bucks that uh, that uh, had my number. Uh, I don't, I don't think he's made it. We've we've got pictures of 2010 this year, but uh, oh, there's several. I mean. Uh, Gosh, I could go on. We had a deer that's Twin Peaks. That uh, that is the main deer I was chasing. He was uh, probably 160 inch nine. I had him at uh, 40, 45 yards one night. Couldn't get it done. Had him at 10 yards one night. Couldn't get it done. And it was 
it was a rough year in 2015, but I had plenty of mature deer to chase. So BT really, it was kind of easier to pass him that year um, based off of, you know, the amount of mature deer. My farm has definitely uh, rebounded since 2012 from EHC, and it, it seems to be getting better every year. Okay. So moving into that 2015 season, then, um, what, uh, what kind of encounters did you have with BT? Um, I really wasn't as often as 2014, obviously he's a year older, so he's not going to be cruising around near as much, but our first, uh, encounter with him was first week of November. Uh, we were filming my dad right in the middle of the property. He comes out right at last light. And uh, got a little bit of hazy footage of him, but nothing crazy. He's uh, he's doing that, you know, what we talked about earlier, the bed transitioning out across that pasture ground right at dark and headed to that bean field. Um, the uh, next encounter I had with him was a couple weeks later on uh, November 14th. That was the very same sand. I was filming myself, and uh, he jumped out with a doe uh, right behind me out of the same thicket, headed across that transition area. He was about uh, 40, 45 yards, and uh, and at that point, I could tell he was uh, he was busted up a little bit. And okay. uh, this deer was uh, overall nature was a very aggressive deer. His name, the Broken Tine Buck, from an early age, really fitting throughout his whole entire life, just because he was uh, he was always busted up. He was always fighting, and uh, he was. He was uh, definitely a, a fighter, I guess I won't call it. But uh, the the best encounter I had with him didn't happen until um, November 22nd of last year. Uh, so in a little different spot, he was uh, rutting around like a like a drunken teenager on a Friday <laughs> night. Uh, a younger buck comes through chasing a doe. He comes right underneath my stand. I, uh, he grunted. I passed him up at five yards. Uh, I stick to my guns. It was getting late into the season. I had a had a tag burning a hole in my pocket, but I uh, yeah, I really had it. Uh, my heart set on that uh, Twin Peaks deer, and uh, so I, I definitely looking back at the time. I was kind of you know I got quite a bit of flack for passing him up from some of my buddies, but uh, I think I got the last laugh on them. So. Well, that's right. Now, so. Did you, you know, like you said, you didn't do too much shed hunting. So did you run across his sheds at all, you know, after the season was over? Or did you have any other late season encounters with him? Uh, after gun season, um, I actually wasn't able to get out uh, in December. My dad uh, hunted quite a bit. And he was hunting in an area where, you know, he hung out. And I actually told my dad, I said, if he comes in, you know, go ahead and shoot him. Well, it wasn't like... The next hunt, maybe the second uh, night of the trip, uh, BT walked in on him at uh, 25 yards, and uh, and uh, he uh, he fortunately passed him too. And uh, so we we knew then, you know, we you know once you get past that gun season here in Kansas, they've got a very good opportunity to make it uh, through the year. So uh, I was pretty happy and pretty proud of Dad for uh, for passing that buck. All right. Any sheds in the spring of two of uh this year no no i I looked and i looked probably more than i've ever looked this year and uh i didn't have that good of a year this year the grass was pretty tall this year so something happened between (laughs) between 2015 and or the summer or the spring when he dropped his antlers 
to the, you know, the growing season of this summer. Why don't you tell me or us what happened? Because (laughs) I'm looking at this picture. I don't believe you. I, I, you (laughs) I don't believe you when you tell me he was only 136 inches, 130 to 140 inches in 2015 he wasn't even that big but it was uh you know the the main thing i can say there's two things one was a optimal growing year the crops the rain everything was you know superb and they're going to see it throughout the entire 2016 season there is going to be some absolute thumpers killed this year but the only other thing that i did different was I put out minerals okay. for the very the very first time um, this summer, and I used a uh, a product by a local company around me um, out of Northeast Oklahoma. It's called NutriDeer. It's a growing company. They're out of uh, they're out of uh, Miami, Oklahoma. They're getting into Walmart this year, and. And I, and I have seen some incredible growth this year. Like, I've never had a picture of a drop time. I've got three of them this year, mature deer with three of them that I've got a lot of history with. So I'm not like a product pusher. I'm not, I don't really – that's not really my style, but that's the only thing I can say that I did differently. That's it. So you're saying that, you know, along with kind of a, 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 rain, a consistent rain throughout the entire year and – the fact that you put mineral out on your property, you think that that has, because I was going to ask if this was the only deer that blew up, but it sounds to me like you've had a couple other deer blow up as well. Yeah, I had uh, this deer that I call 2010 that I've been chasing for several years. He uh, He's always been a, a pretty typical 10-pointer, and uh, he blew up into a big 6 by 6 He had about a, well, I say had, He's already busted up. I'm not for sure exactly what happened, but he's missing already about 50% of his rack. But in July, uh, to mid-July, something happened. But early July, he was already a uh, hundred and probably 60, 170 inch deer with uh, with about a month to go. So it's pretty disappointing to see him busted up. Hopefully, he'll get a pass. He's not getting any younger though. He's about a seven and a half year old deer. And then uh, the other deer that's made a very big jump is a, a deer that I passed last year as a big, tall six by six. I got some awesome footage of him uh, passing him up right before I passed up BT that uh, day in late November, and he is absolutely blown up into a giant, soup, one of the tallest deer that I've ever got a picture of, and he's we're nicknamed him Caribou because he's got this gnarly, just like a caribou has coming off his front like a big paddle front, just like a caribou hat. So he's a really, really unique deer. And, and over the last couple of years, I mean, I've always had good deer, but I've never had the, like the non-typical stuff that, that I've got this year. And I'm not saying it's, you know, the minerals or whatever, but you know, it's a combination of, I'm sure everything, but uh, something that's, happened. The minerals, yeah. that's the only different, uh, the only thing I did different this year, this summer, I ran minerals from a, uh, from the first part of turkey season in April all the way through the year, and I ran it. I had probably six different sites all over my property. Okay. All right. So and did you do it on a consistent basis? So there was a lot of mineral out there throughout the entire growing period? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, okay. refreshed up, you know, a couple months into the summer when I started hanging my, my tree stands and all that good stuff. 
Okay. So talk to us about what BT did. What did he, he went from a 130 class deer to what he go into? Uh, I actually haven't even scored him yet. I'm, I'm not much of a scorer, so I, I'm not really the best at judging. I, I don't know. I think the whole number system that this deer deer hunting's got these days has kind of ruined things a little bit. But I would say I've heard, you know, up to 200, but I think he's probably more in the, the low uh, 180s to high 170s, I'd say. Okay. Okay. So when you started pulling these trail camera pictures – in 2016 and you you started seeing bt was it again was he one of the first deer on trail camera very first one on trail camera okay so when you saw him i mean what was your reaction (laughs) i had actually filmed it and you know i'm just cruising on through pictures and and the first one i see is him straight on and I'm thinking, oh, you know, I instantly knew that's the deer. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he is freaking blown up. You can see that trash on the left-hand side. And and uh, I'm fumbling through for my phone to call my dad. And, and I just so happened to hit that very the next button. And he's got that head turned to the left. And you can see that big old paddle hanging off the back. And yeah, it was, it was a, a gasping moment for sure to see that, that jump because I mean, he was a great deer last year, but, you know, I never, and in passing that deer, I knew he could probably turn into, you know, something pretty good, but I never could have fathomed that he would have put in, put on all that trash right. in, in one year. He changed his whole character, you know, his whole frame and everything in one year. Man, that is ridiculous. <laughs> so, I mean, he put on, he put on 50, pretty much 50 inches. Yeah, it more than that. I'm I'm yeah. supposed to be getting scored here pretty soon. I'm getting from the tax ceremony, so we'll, we'll find out soon, and I'll have to let you know. That's nuts. Anyway, all right. So now you see him on trail camera, and now is when kind of the the hunt actually begins. You know, you start mentally preparing for how you're going to start to to kill this buck. So, what were some of the strategies that you? I mean. If I had an encounter like this, right, and, you know, I encountered this deer three years in a row or two years in a row, I would be pretty confident going in that I was going to have another encounter with him at some point throughout the season. What was your strategy or your game plan going into this hunting season? You know, I I really went back to 2014. I went tried to go back to just about every encounter that I had with him. Um you know, trying to learn maybe where he was, you know, what was his tendencies. I was really thinking a game plan that would work throughout the entire year. I wasn't really focused on anything necessarily early. I knew after as many trail cameras as I had of him, I run a lot of my trail cameras on video. So I was able to easily determine that this deer over the last three years was a very aggressive deer based off of, you know, his, the broken tine aspect of it. He was always, um, broken up he would love to fight so that was one thing i put in my back pocket i knew i had a very you know very confident that i could uh, you know call to this year you know late october early november one of those type of situations you know i was you know i wasn't going to climb the ladder like i normally do i knew i could start at the top you know you know rattling snort weeds and all the good stuff and uh but you know 
I didn't ever, obviously I never got to that point. Um, I guess my first, basically, um, my plan was, is I tried to figure out how he was getting across that big transition area from the bed to the feed and how that transition area breaks down is there is basically, um, three, three, three train, three main travel corridors across that, um, transition area. There is a, a fence line going up the north end. There's a big tree line going up the middle and there's a fence line on the south end. So I basically put a trail camera on each fence line and I was able to quickly determine which fence line he was using. And once I got a picture of him on that north fence line, everything else was out of the books. I wasn't trying to find any other deer. I wasn't trying to, you know, hang any other stands, uh, any other trail cameras. It was all game in, you know, all in on an early season pattern to try to kill him which is basically a tree line going up a saddle that uh, had a couple ditches next to it. And uh, that's basically where I, where I started, uh, you know, before the season started. Okay. So when you were flipping through these trail camera pictures and you, you know, you're trying to pattern him, he's coming to this food source through this transition period um, area out of three different, you know, there's three different spots he could be coming. You, you found out that he was using this North fence line, right so so was it with the same wind direction every time like did you did you look at wind directions did you look at uh you know hey i gotta make sure that if i do come in to hunt him it has to be this wind direction what was he how was he moving uh as far as wind was concerned um i really didn't uh i didn't get to monitor that as much as i probably should have um i knew basically my only opportunity to kill this deer was on a south wind so i had to adjust uh adjust my setup for that i uh you know this area that i found him in it's kind of funny because i've never hunted this area i mean i've kind of hunted close to it by like close as into like two or three hundred yards so i had i didn't really have the greatest idea how these deer were using it and what i learned was is this transition area wasn't necessarily what I thought. It was actually more of a bedding area because these little ditches going off of uh, this fence line was ultimately where he was bedded. He was bedded in this little bitty ditch that's probably not 50 yards wide, but it's real steep. It's got it's super thick. It's on the backside of a little pond, and it was the most off-the-wall place, but that's ultimately where I found him. Based on my trail camera pictures, I... Uh, I would get him out of there and I would get him out of uh, the main thicket to the east. So it was kind of a catch 22 of where he would ultimately come out of. So I basically set up um, for both situations. And uh, one thing we've started to do a lot of the last couple of years is we started hunting out of hay bale blinds. Um, this open ground, this pasture where we we're hunting him, uh, it's hayed every year. There's a lot of uh, hay bale blinds, you know, hay bales in the field at times. So it's something they're used to, and and that's what we ended up hunting him out of. I did have a tree stand set up on that fence line for a north wind, but uh, the access wasn't was kind of sketchy. So uh, we pretty much were all in on the uh, on the ground blind. So you mentioned his bedding area and gave us some details about that. Why do you think he was bedding where he was bedding? It was the closest cover 
of any kind um, within to that bean field where I was getting all those pictures of him in the in the beginning of uh, August. Um, it was, you know, and that's just another one of those things I talk about. Like I keep learning, like coming from Missouri, you know, these deer are needing big thickets and big, you know, big wood locks to bed in, and these Kansas deer are are just flat out just playing different. I mean, I think to me, in my opinion, they don't need you know, um, you know, a lot of cover. They just need, uh, to be able to, you know, hear you coming. And this year with this, uh, on the backside of this pond, the farmer goes up there all the time to feed his cattle. And he, this deer probably sat there and watched him do it several times throughout the summer months. And, uh, but that's the, that's the main thing is he was, uh, it was the closest, even remotely closest cover from to this bean field, which is probably, three quarters, half a mile to three quarters of a mile away from that bean field. Okay. So you, you knew now what you needed to do and you put that game plan together that you said, okay, on this South wind, I'm going to go in and hunt this North, you know, hunt this, uh, this North fence line. Was it the very first time that you went in, you killed him or did you have, did you have a couple scenarios play out before the actual kill um opening day we did not kill him and i was shocked that we didn't see him at least Mm -hmm. um we uh man we were fired up i'd never been so nervous and all my put together (laughs) climbing into that blind that (laughs) night but uh uh we seen his running buddy he ran with a three and a half year old really nice um, what I call a diaper dandy. He's one of those deer that that's going to be some something someday. Right. And uh, we we seen him, and I think we kind of I don't know if we messed up or not with him, but we were running out an Ozonics for the very first time. I had never used an Ozonics, and we weren't really we didn't have a very good mounting system in our blind. So what I ultimately did was I stuck it out the window, kind like it wasn't all the way out, but it was it was sticking out pretty good, but it was not tilted down. Like I probably should have. And as soon as this deer steps out into this field, he's just got it pegged. I mean, he's staring at us. And when I, at the end of the night, when I, uh, pulled the ozonics back in, I realized that the coils in it were going a, a, a pretty strong purple. Right. And I wasn't for sure. And I don't know, you, you've used ozonics a lot more than I have. I don't know if that's an occurring problem. I don't know if he's, I don't even know if that's what he saw, but he was nervous. And I really thought we had blown it because he was looking behind him. He was acting very skittish to us, to whatever was behind him. And I was pretty confident that we might had uh, busted, you know, the, the hunt. And uh, fortunately, uh, we ended up getting out of there. He ended up kind of calming down a little bit, in the, uh, walking off, and uh, we ended up slipping out of there without blowing any deer okay. out of the field. So how many other deer did you see that night aside from that buck? Uh, just one little spike come through the field at about 100 yards. That okay. was it. it and, and he was in between the north fence and the south fence. You said there was a finger of trees. Did yeah. that Did that spike buck come from those finger of trees then? Yeah, I think so. I think he was bitted. He come. It was just one of those deals. He come out of nowhere, and because uh, he come from from the towards the bean field, or he had to been in that finger or one of the uh, the ditches to our uh, west, and maybe he kind of circled out into the field and and was uh, had his mind to go south. 
So you're on that north fence line, right? And you were hunting a south wind. So the, the wind was blowing over top of, you, you know, behind you, right? So all the deer were to the south of you? Yeah, they were all to the south. Uh, we had, this property has very good access. I was able to, uh, to come in off the, the north side, the northeast side. And uh, I slipped through a, a hay field, and so all my uh, all my scent is blowing. Uh, it's it's kind of one of those, you know, uh, you know, perfect setup for your wind and your access. And it was all blowing right. behind me. And as as long as I kept the wind somewhat out of the south, I didn't care if it was east, southwest. As long as it was anything south, I was fine. Okay, all right. So that 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 one buck probably didn't smell the ozonics at least. It, uh, maybe saw it, uh, or like you said, I don't know. I, I've, ne- I always hunt out of a tree stand, so I know I'm, they're not, see- they're not seeing the purple coils, uh, when I hunt, but in- who knows what it, what it could have been. So did you hunt that next night too, or how many days kind of before you hunted that area again? Well, this is where the kind of story gets a little crazy. Um, right. walking, walking back to the, um, truck, I had told my dad, I said, we're not going back tomorrow. The weather was forecasted to get into the mid-90s. The wind was supposed to lay down. It was a terrible, you know, by looking at it on my apps, my weather apps, it was, you know, a terrible night to to sit. Some weather was coming in on Thursday and Friday, so I just told my dad, I said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just take tomorrow off. And we'll hit it, you know, later on in the week. The wind's supposed to, you know, be out of the south. We'll still be good. And uh, we'll give it, you know, this this uh, set a little bit of a break. So I had to work um, the next day. I get a phone call about 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon from, um, I was one of our divisions that filled empty positions throughout the railroad. So I get a phone call. Hey, Mitchell, you've got to be in St. Louis in the morning for the rest of the week. So here I am just distraught. I mean, I have, you know, I'm used to the phone calls of getting forced around, but this particular week, this particular year, of course, it just had to happen. I mean, I was distraught. I had spent so many hours preparing for this deer, and then they're going to call me up, ship me off to Timbuktu for the rest of the week. And, and I didn't know, you know, BT was so regular, I had him pegged. But this is the time, that was the time of year where, you know, it could only be last just a couple more days and he could be gone. You know, the right. velvet's coming off, the acorns are dropping. You know, I'm having trouble right now finding deer. Okay. And so I called my dad. I said, we got to do it tonight. We don't have a choice. This is it. This is all I'm going to be able to hunt the rest of the week. So he's, you know, he's, you know, he's game on, you know, he's, he's a go-getter just like me. So he's like, let's do it. So, uh. We get out there and we're walking, we're taking our time, trying not to sweat into this ground blind, and we crawl into this sauna. Oh man, <laughs> it's got to be a hundred degrees, hundred fifteen. I don't even know in this blind. We we wrap. It's a hay bale blind. It's, my dad did a great job on these blinds. He, uh, they look amazing, but they're wrapped in black tarp. And yep. it was just, that sun was just baking us, and I'm just dripping sweat. And I, I, bake, I remember, and I still, I saved the text message that I sent to two of my buddies. I said, "Boys, this may be the dumbest thing that I have ever done <laughs> in my entire life." And 
and that's the that's the night that it happened. Uh, we seen one deer and one deer only one that uh, that night, and uh, it was it was pretty incredible. So, my question is uh, to back to backtrack just a bit. How regular was he showing up on this North Fence Line trail camera? He was just about every night, but it was always, he was just walk. he was through just right at last light or just past last light. Right. Okay. And it was, I mean, it was, I, I went in that night and the night before with more confidence than I've ever had and all my put together as far as seeing a big deer. I didn't know if I was going to kill him or not, but I was really, really confident that I was going to be able to see him. Okay. So. Why don't you talk, you know, you're in this sauna, you're, you're there with your dad, right? And, uh, um, tell me, you know, what's, what's kind of going through your head while you're dripping there and, uh, (laughs) and talk to, uh, you know, just walk us through in detail from when he stepped out to when, you know, the shot took place. So, I mean, obviously my, uh, my, enthusiasm's pretty low and dad even reminds me that to this day he's reminded me a couple times that i was pretty pretty down and i have a tendency to do that which is one thing i probably need to work on a little bit but that's beside the point but anyway um you know i throughout the night i just i kind of got complacent and and uh we you know we hadn't seen anything all night and it was getting to be that time and I heard this faint thud in a direction that I wasn't expecting them because we had the ten pointer come out from the left the night before. Right. So we had really expected, you know, this that's where all my attention's going. Cause I thought, you know, my whole, you know, based off my trail cameras and everything, I got he's coming from this direction. But I also had trail camera pictures of him coming from our east or from those small ditches out in the middle of this pasture. And right at last light I I heard a faint thud, and my dad uh, heard it too after we had talked about it. But we were kind of, we were really, we were checked out. I mean, it's getting dark. You know, we're we're trying to film. I filmed for a television show, and and uh, uh, and we were just checked out. And uh, and I was kind of, I don't know what I was doing, probably swatting a mosquito or something. But I was uh, leaning over, kind of towards my dad, and I and I looked out. His uh his uh his side uh window of that hay bale blind and all i see is the most beautiful sight <laughs> i've ever seen uh you know all i could see is his rack silhouetted uh against a uh, orange kansas sunset set it was just beautiful as all get out and the joker is at about 18 yards just standing there right next to our ground blind and uh so yeah, he, yeah, that never, thud was him jumping the fence, I take it. Jumping the fence. Yep. No, sorry, I should have explained that a little better. But he was jumping the fence and um we should have we should have looked over there. I mean, we've got a window over on that side that we could see down perfectly, but like I said, we were just kind of checked out. You know, we were sitting in that sauna for a couple hours and uh it uh it made the hunt a little more hectic really than it needed to be. Um, as soon as I seen him, I didn't say anything, but I turned and looked to my dad and, and I worded, you know, he's right there. <laughs> and my dad 
dropped his chin and gave me the biggest freaking people's eyebrow from the rock that I've ever seen. And, uh, he probably doesn't even know what that is, but his <laughs> eye, his eyebrows were just like, it was his look was just hilarious. And he turns and I'm still staring at him. I'm kind of freaked out. And, uh, he turns and looks and he, he's getting the camera on and I'm, and fortunately, uh, he, uh, he worked out in front of the blind. He was kind of stuck in a position uh, in the beginning feeding where um, I couldn't get a shot. We ended up having some trouble with the camera, which is uh, pretty typical on a big deer like that. I ended up having to run the camera and shoot the deer at the same time. But uh, <clears throat> the focus was giving me problems. Here, here I've got the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, and I'm sitting here fumbling with trying to get it on camera. And I, I basically I finally had to make a decision you know, to, you know, screw this type of deal. I got to kill this deer. And, um, and I got, I got ready and I, I, you know, and this deer had come out, uh, 10, 15 minutes before earlier than he'd ever come out the entire summer. It was the earliest he'd ever come out on the hottest day of the year on the most miserable day I've ever set a ground blind. Right. And it was incredible. He, he gave me a perfect broadside. I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. He, uh, he walked just right into my window and he, uh, he, he did hear me draw back and I, man, I settled the pin like I've never, never settled it before. And, uh, <clears throat> as soon as I released the arrow, I could tell I hit him, but it was so dark. I, uh, couldn't see where I exactly, hit. I felt great about the shot, but I, you know, you always just have that little, uh, thought in the back of your head you know i've had it happen i'm sure you have to where you know you you just hit the biggest deer of your life but you're not sure you know exactly where you hit him i uh i tried i knew it was going to be last light and the week prior i tried to buy some lighted knocks and i just did not have any luck with them uh pattern patterning at all so i i pretty much had to give up on that but uh i knew i made a good shot uh we couldn't quite tell on the video where we hit him so we pretty much just sat there and freaked out for about 45 minutes until he even thought about moving. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've had some encounters. I've shot some big deer. Um, and, you know, obviously I didn't kill the biggest deer that I've ever shot. But that first, that first thought that was running through my head is like, it, it's almost like, it's your, your mind is blank. Your mind doesn't know what to think or what to do. What was, what was that the same thing that was kind of running through your brain? What was your, what were your emotions? I was, it was a more of a shock than anything. I've been known to to get pretty fired up and pretty excited uh, about a deer, but you know, it was just speechless. Right. Right. Okay. You know, you work your butt, you work your butt off, you know, trying to, you know, get an opportunity of deer like that, and you know it happened. That's right. All right, so you know, you sat there for forty-five minutes with your dad. What you know? Now it's time to start looking. Uh, what what happened after that? Oh, we got out of the blind. We you know we did our little interviews and stuff, and uh, I had some good wishes from a couple good buddies of mine, and <clears throat> I was you know. Still pretty hesitant, but we went over and uh, about 25 yards away, we see this arrow 
and this big old cutting blade diameter broadhead just absolutely covered in red and that's when the party started basically we knew right then you know i hit him good i spent a lot of time practicing if i can't kill a deer at 20 yards you know i don't deserve to be out there so right that was uh that's when when we found that arrow that's when the the spirit started rising and we were like you know this this could really happen was it uh a pass through Yep, a uh, complete pass through. When when I hit him, my my first thought was that I had hit him low because he kind of okay. jumped straight up. He didn't necessarily – I didn't see a mule kick. My dad said he thought he might have um, could tell um, – not that it was dark or nothing, but just – he kind of – I don't know. It was kind of weird. He just kind of hunched up like he I hit him low. So that was my first, uh, my, my first thought. And, uh, we didn't have any bubbles, you know, necessarily right on the arrow or nothing, but man, it, it looked like good heart blood. And okay. when he, when he ran off, I could see him for quite a ways. And then he kind of dropped down in this little, uh, little cut and that's when I lost him. So I never seen uh jump the fence or nothing. Gotcha. All right. So, so you start to follow the blood trail. How, how long did it take you until you ended up coming up on him? Well, we, we trailed him uh, for quite a while, and he had blood the whole time, but it wasn't anything impressive. It was okay. just little bitty little bitty spots. So now, as co- the closer we get to this fence, which is about probably 60 to 80 yards away, I'm starting to get nervous. I'm thinking, God, if, he's, if he jumped this fence, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. So we get to the fence and we're talking about it and, and dad just was like, well, let's just hop over and see if we can find blood on the, on the other side of the fence. So he hops over and I'm still standing over on the other side of the fence. I'm not for sure if we should back out or what we should do. And something finally told me to climb the fence. So I climbed the fence and dad's off tromping in the woods about 15, 20 yards into the woods trying to find where he'd walk in. And I turn and look not three yards to my right is I could just see that big old paddle just sticking up in the grass and, mm. and he made it across he made it across the fence and uh that was that was his last jump right there. Man. So you crossed the, the you crossed the fence <laughs> and you know you look at him. What I mean when you put your hands on his rack for the very first time, what was what was that like? It was uh it was pretty it was pretty crazy and I still get choked up today thinking about it. You know, we spend a lot of time, you know, chasing these biggins and you know, for it to happen for someone like me, you know, I don't find no crazy good places or nothing and you know, for it to go down like the way it did, uh, it was pretty special and for my dad to be there, you know, he's not getting any younger, so yep. it was uh it was pretty crazy. So what do you think you owe your success to, uh, as far as being able to accomplish not only maybe hunting in general, but hunting this particular deer? Uh, if I could say anything, it'd probably be the graciousness of the landowner. You know, yeah. one of the greatest things I love about Kansas is not the deer, but the people out there are very open to letting people come out and hunt. You know, I tell my buddies all the time, I was like, you can go knock on just about any door in Kansas and, and get permission on some halfway decent ground. So I've got to give a, a big shout out to the farmer. I, uh, I definitely won't name any names, but he knows who he is. <laughs> so I've got to give a, a big, big, uh, 
you know, for a guy like that to just, you know, stop and say hello and, and be able to let me hunt is pretty special. And then, uh, oh, probably the other thing is the whole ground line aspect of it. You know, that deer right there was the first deer that I'd ever um, shot out of the ground line. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of like you. I, I've never hunted out of the ground line, really. Um, it's all been tree stands, you know, coming from Missouri and stuff. But that's, right. um, you know, the biggest thing is, is these hay bale blinds, these deer are used to seeing them. They're used to seeing them around. And, and uh, they've been, you know, the last two years, we've had some really good encounters. And this one just happened to end up working out for us. And uh, I'd say that and uh, hunting those edges, you know, like I, yeah. I talked about earlier, you know, getting, you know, thinking of coming from Missouri, you got to get in that timber, you got to get in those thickets, um, you know, learning that these deer don't require the cover that it really takes to, to hold them and to, you know, they've got everything they need in a little, you know, 40, 50 yard stretch of, uh, you know, thicket as long as they're not pestered with. Um, but that's the, you know, just hard work and determination, you know, all about it. You know, it, it was a short hunt. It was the shortest hunt I've ever been on. But ultimately, it was a three-year quest to hunt a deer that, you know, it probably will be the biggest deer I've ever killed, and I'm perfectly okay with that. So, Wow. Well, let me wish you uh, a congratulations. Uh, now, do you hunt in Missouri at all? Yeah, I've got uh, a little bit of ground in Missouri, but it's, it's tough to to go from hunting in Kansas to coming in here because the deer are just – they're so much smaller the pressure is ridiculous and yeah. i definitely have to change my my tactics quite a bit from uh jumping across the state line back to missouri gotcha well man it, i mean your season has already been a success thanks for taking time out of your day and <laughs> uh and uh coming and sharing your story on this podcast well like i said i appreciate uh you having me on and uh i've enjoyed it i appreciate you uh for reaching out and uh letting me share my story there you have it another hunter profile podcast in the books first off i want to say huge shout out to uh, mitch for taking time to come on the show and share that story with us congratulations on uh, ending your season somewhat early um thank you to all the listeners as always uh, like i say you know you guys are the reason that this podcast is uh in progress and uh, continuing to grow other than that you know, social media, check me out, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, go to iTunes or wherever you download the podcast and leave a review. Um, thank you guys very much again. Uh, stay tuned for Wednesday's podcast where, uh, we announce the winner of the redneck blind. Let's see here. Now we need to send a big thank you to the, uh, podcast partners exodus trail cameras and deer lab now with deer lab when you go to visit uh, that uh, that website type in deerlab.com backslash nine fingers that's the number nine in the word fingers and uh, you guys can uh, get a 30-day trial of that uh, of that software other than that Try not to uh, get fired at work for looking at maps or uh, flipping through trail camera pictures. And if you do, go into the tree to hunt with your bow. Make sure you wear your damn safety harness. Let's have a good week.